Good morning, Tuolumne Community Baptist Church. Pastor George here, coming to you on a Sunday morning, bright and early, getting ready to get today's service started. You know, we've been having some technical uh, difficulties with our podcast, getting things recorded and posted. Um, we're trying to fix the problem. Uh, mostly, I believe the problem is me because I recorded on my cell phone and then post it, you know, to uh, to Anchor and then Anchor sends it out to Spotify and other places. But for whatever reason, the last few weeks I have lost uh, the messages and I am so sorry, I so apologize. I'm hoping today is successful. Today we're in uh, Hosea chapters uh, 10 and 11. It's a wonderful place to be. Uh, stay tuned. You will be blessed. I promise. Uh, it's the wonderful living word of God that we are studying together. God bless you. I hope to see you soon. Uh, we'll be with you. God bless. I was up here for a guy. All right. We've been going through the book of Hosea. For our guests, so you know, what I, God directed me, I don't know, a few years back to begin to preach through the Bible. Really, Lord, that's what you want me to do? Because I'm a topical guy, man. I love bringing topical subjects and, you know, and, and applying the word of God to the topics. And the Lord said, no, I want you to teach through the Bible. That way you can't skip things that are hard. And man, he has showed me we've been through some really hard times together as a church. Some of the stuff we in Hosea itself was very difficult to read. I mean, these people were literally crazy. And they represent who we are. We're crazy, crazy human beings. And we need to understand our sinful nature and who we are. That's why it's in the living word of God. That's why we study it. The book of Hosea is one of the last of the minor prophets. It's actually the first of the minor prophets in the back of the Old Testament. The last 12 books of your Old Testament starts with Hosea and then goes on to Joel and and different smaller prophets. They say they, they call them the minor prophets, not that they were playing in the minor leagues. They were actually in the major leagues, but their, their stories are shorter and more to the point. The book of Hosea is a really interesting one. The first three chapters was all about Hosea and his prostitute wife, Gomer. You go, I thought Hosea was a prophet. Yep, he was a prophet of God in the land of Israel, leading the church. And God said to him, I want you to go marry a prostitute. Kind of blows your mind, like, what, what are you thinking, God? Well, God wanted to, an example to show us, an example today that we could look at to see his love and mercy. God knew that this prostitute was gonna break Hosea's heart, and she did. She stayed with him about a year, had a child, wound up having three children that Hosea were t was taking care of, and she runs off and goes back into her life of being a prostitute. Leaves him home with all three kids. It's a story that we hear today. Oftentimes we hear, uh, you know, wives and husbands have left each other and leaving the spouse to take care of all the, the hard work. And then God told, tells Hosea, now I want you to go get her. I want you to go get your wife. Can you imagine how difficult that had to be for a, the prophet of God in the community going to the dark places of the community going, hey, have you seen my wife? Who's your wife? Oh, Gomer. 
Oh, yeah, she was here last night. Sorry, man, I didn't know she was your wife. It would have been a horrible situation. And he finally finds her after she was sold into slavery, sex slavery. Finds her tied to a rock, naked, dirty. And he walks in and he says, that's my wife. And pays the fine, the, the fee, whatever it was, 15 shekels plus all the barley. They actually wanted 30 shekels. He didn't have 30. So he gave all that he had to buy his wife back and take her home and to love her and to support her. It's showing us God's mercy on us. Every time we walk away from God and we decide that we're going to go after something other than God. He so lovingly cares and loves us just like Hosea loved Gomer. That's what the, the, the whole expression of that first three chapters was to show us that we need a savior. That we turn away from God way too often. So then it, it moves on into all the different chapters where God was saying how he's going to punish Israel. Right now, the land is divided into two. You have the northerns and the southerners. You have Israel and you have Judah. They're separated. So let's start with Hosea chapter 10. Hosea 10, verse 1. Now prosperous Israel is. A luxuriant vine loaded with fruit. By the way, I'm reading this out of the New Living Translation. I think when I get to chapter 11, I actually go back to the New King James, but this was so profound, I put the New Living Translation in. But the richer the people got, the more pagan altars they built. The more beautiful their harvests, the more beautiful their sacred pillars. God has been blessing them to such an incredible degree. They were prosperous. The land was providing more than they needed. They were doing great. But these people were so oblivious that they didn't think it was God that it was blessing them. They thought it was them, their hard work, their hands. We would never do that, right? Our lives get so good and, and you know, the bills are paid and things are good and the job is good. And man, praise God, things are good. We need to praise God because it's God who's supplying all of our needs. They thought it was because of their hard work. This is exactly what's happening in our nation right now. We're so rich and prosperous and we take glory in the hard work and never consider that it's God's blessing, it's God's hand on this country. We need to remember. Verse two, the hearts of the people are fickle. They're guilty and must be punished. The Lord will break down their altars and smash their sacred pillars. Fickled here means that they were deceptive. The, new, the King James Version says they had a divided heart. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. I'm going to come back to that. They had a divided heart. Verse 3. Then they will say, we have no king because we don't fear the Lord. But even if we had a king, what could he do for us anyway? We are doing so good. They keep killing the kings. That's what the problem is. They, they keep getting assassinated. But we don't need a king. We're doing fine. Besides, verse 4, they say, they shout empty words and make covenants they don't intend to keep. 
So injustice springs up among them like poisonous weeds in a farmer's field. I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot like politics to me today. Man, they spout empty words and empty covenants that they know they can't keep, that they won't do. We as a church need to be crying out to the Lord for a leader. Verse 5. The people of Samaria, which is a, a tribe of Israel, tremble in fear for their calf idol at Beth Haven, and they mourn for it, though its priests rejoice over it. Its glory will be stripped away. So we need to talk about this a little bit so you understand what's really going on. Beth Avon is actually a slur. It's supposed to be Bethel. Bethel means house of God. That's what the word Bethel means. Hosea said in his mind, he says, I cannot call it the house of God. So he calls it Beth Avon, which is actually the house of the demon. Hosea is going to use the term because of what the people are doing there. When the northern kingdom realized their people were wanting to go south to Jerusalem to worship God, they built temples for them to go to. But you got to remember, the priests at the time weren't teaching the living word of God. So they built these temples with the, with the right thing in mind that we're going to serve the one and true God. But that, that wasn't what they were teaching. And slowly but surely, idols became to, began to move in. The idolatry that was in the nation that they were living in began to creep into the church, into the tabernacle. One of these temples was up in the northern part of the land called Dan. The other was in the southern part of the land, which is called Bethel. Hosea used the, the term Beth Avon because it's, it actually meant house of wickedness. So why, do we, why did he call it the house of wickedness? Up and down in the north and the south, Bethel, they had set up altars where they could go worship the calf gods. Well, where on earth did these calf gods come from? If you don't know your Bible, you would wonder that. Where on earth? What, what, what are they thinking? Well, this is exactly what the children of Israel did when they escaped from Egypt, when God released them from Egypt, and they're out there into the desert. Moses is up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments. They had no idea that he was going to be up there for 40 days. And they said, hey, where's Mo? What are we going to do? And he went to Aaron, who was the, the priest of the tribe, and he's trying to lead the people. And he said, no, we got to have a God. we got to have a God that we can see and touch and feel. So let's build us a, a like they had in Egypt, a calf of gold. Of course, Aaron, what he said, he took all the gold and threw it into pot and out jumped his calf. You think that's what happened? That's what he told Moses when he got back down the hill. What on earth are you guys doing? Oh, I threw all the gold into the pot and melted it down and out jumped this calf. Not only was he lying, but they were really, really being disgraceful. That's where it came from. That's why he was calling it the house of wickedness, because of what they were doing. 500 years before this happens, now they're doing it again. Verse 6, this idol, referring to this calf cow or golden cow, will be carted away to Assyria. A gift of the great king, the great king there. Ephraim will be ridiculed, that's another tribe of Israel, and Israel will be shamed because of the people 
have trusted in this idol. Samaria and its king will be cut off and they will float away like driftwood in, on an ocean. God is very upset that they have decided to, to worship these, these idols. Of course, now we don't do that today, right? We don't have little idols on our dresser that we're worshiping or any idols in here that we're coming in and bowing down to. We're more sophisticated than that today. You know, maybe we have other idols, things that come in the way between us and God. Just something to think about. Verse 7. No, verse 8. And the pagan shrines in Avon, and the pagan shrines in Avon, the place of Israel's sin will crumble. Thorns of thistles will grow up around their altars and bring the mountains, bury us, and they will plead the hills to fall on us. This may sound familiar for those of you guys that are in the book of Revelation. You know how they cry out, the Lord, just let the rocks, I don't want to see the wrath of God, just let the rocks fall on us and kill us. That's Revelation 6, 15 through 17. This is New King James Version. And the kings of the earth, the great men, and the rich men, and the commanders, and the mighty men. These are all the people who left in the last days. The rich, the mighty but even the slave and the free man hid themselves in the caves and the rocks of the mountains. Verse 16, and said to the mountains and rock, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne from the wrath of the lamb. Verse 17, for the great day of his wrath has come. Who is able to stand? Those are all the people that chose not to serve the most living, high living God. We must see the overall problem. We can see their sin. Their sinners are their sinners, just like you and me. The problem wasn't so much of the sin in their lives, but the fact that they would not acknowledge it and repent. Throughout the, this book, God has been saying through Hosea, just come back. See the sin, turn away from it. Let me be your God and you be my people. That's all God was, was asking over and over and over again. Hosea 10, verse 9. The Lord says, O Israel, ever since Gilbeah, there has been only sin and more sin. You have made no progress whatsoever. It is not right that the wicked men of Gilbeah were attacked. Was it not right? Yes, of course it was right that they were attacked. Verse 10. Now, whenever it fits my plan, I will attack you too. I will call out the armies of the nations to punish you and for your multiplied sin. Verse 11, Israel is trained like a heifer treading on the grain and easy her job she loves. But, it will put a, but I will put a heavy yoke on her tender neck. I will force Judah to fall and plow and Israel to break up the hard ground. Verse 12, I said, plant the good seeds of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of love. Plow the hard ground of your hearts for now is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and, and sow righteousness upon you. In the midst of everything he's saying, he's saying if you just would come back, if you just plant the good seed of righteousness, well, what's the good seed? 
The Bible tells us the seed is the living word of God. He says, but you have cultivated wickedness, verse 13, and harvests a thriving crop of sins. Do you kind of see the correlation there? What you sow is what you're going to reap. You're sowing in a bunch of sin. What do you think you're going to get? You're going to reap a bunch of sin. That's what's coming. He says, you have eaten the fruit of lies, trusting your military might, believing that great armies could make your nation safe. Boy, does that sound like America today? Believing that our great armies could keep us safe? When we turn our hearts and backs on God, I'm telling you, we're in trouble. Verse 14, now the terrors of war will rise again among your people. And your fortifications will fall just as the salmon destroyed Beth Abel. Even the mothers and the children were dashed to death there. Well, this is kind of an interesting thing that he's talking about here. Beth Abel, we know, is Bethel, the house of God. It's in the southern part of their land. Salmon refers to Salmonizer, either the third to the fifth. I tried to figure out which one was ruling and reigning at this particular time. I couldn't figure it out. It's either Selmanizer the third, fourth, or fifth. King of Assyria, Babylon. A conquering ruler. Selmanizer flourished in the 8th century. King of Assyria. Who subjugated ancient Israel and undertook the punitive campaign to quill the rebellion of Israel's king, Hosea. Not, not the prophet Hosea. This is, oh, is it pronounced the same, that Hosea? It's different because there's an H and an H-O-S-H, so Hosea or something. Anyway, what's happening here? is God is, is finally sending Assyria down to spank Israel. You've lived in sin, you've campaigned in sin, that's all you've done is sin. I gotta send them to punish you. They're the stick of punishment. They're gonna come and spank my, my tribe Israel and take them into captivity. It's unbelievable. He says in verse 15, he says, you will share that fate, Bethel, because your great wickedness, when the day of judgment dawns, the king, when that day of judgment dawns, I've lost my place. The king, of the king of Israel will be completely destroyed. It's unbelievable. When we were talking about the calf tending the grain. Do you remember when we talked about that just here a few minutes ago? The calf was on the threshing floor. I want to really address what was actually going on there. What they would do is they would use a heifer, which is a, a, a cow that hasn't had a calf yet, and they'd use the heifer to pull the yoke in the, in the threshing floor to, to break the grain down. They probably were pulling some kind of heavy implement behind them that would break the grain down from the shaft to the wheat to, to break it down. What they were allowed to do, according to Deuteronomy, they were allowed, it said never to muzzle the calf. Allow the calf to eat. So as the, as the cow is going around, you know, making the grain, he would, she was able to eat and enjoy her job. And that's why God was saying, you know, Israel loves her job because she's getting fat. 
but I'm going to put a yoke on her neck and I'm going to make it more difficult for her. And that's what was coming. Now we're going to look at Hosea 11. Eleven one says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Okay, I want to stop and talk about that one a little bit. All of a sudden, God is telling Hosea, I want you to begin to write in the first person. As if God is talking directly to the people. Yes, Hosea is writing it, but God is speaking. And he wants us to see it in the first person. He said, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And I called out of Egypt, I called my son. He's actually referring to Jesus Christ at this point which is gonna be five, 600 years into the future. But he's talking about his son is going to come out of Egypt, which he did. Verse two, as they called them, so they went from them, they sacrificed to the Baals and burned incense to the carved images. This was a problem. God is speaking directly to the tribe of Israel of what they're doing. Verse three, he said, I took I taught Ephraim to walk. This is another tribe of Israel, a larger family. Taking them by their arms, but they did not know that I had healed them. See, this is the problem. God is there carrying us along, teaching us to walk. And after we begin to walk and we begin to run and we begin to do things, we forget that it's God. It's God who's teaching us. It's God who's holding us. Verse 4, he said, I drew them with gentle cords. With bands of love, I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. I stooped and fed them. I want you to notice that he said like seven different things here referring to love. He said, I loved, I called, I taught, I healed, I drew, I was to them. I stooped to feed them. This is God referring to his, his people that he had created. Verse 5, he shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria, Assyria be his king because they refuse to repent. He's talking to the, the people of Israel. You've refused to repent. Assyria is going to come and take you. And they did. Verse 6, and the sword shall slash his cities, devour their districts, and consume them because of their counsels. What does he mean by their counsels? The priests of what they were teaching. They weren't learning. They weren't living, learning the, the living word of God. It's very important to be in a place where you're hearing and being taught the living word of God. Verse 7. My people are bent on backsliding from me. Though they call to the most high. None of them exalt him. Yeah, they may cry out to God, but not in their hearts, only with their words. Verse 8. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I make you like Admir? How can I set you like Zimboim? My heart churns within me. My sympathy is stirred. God is speaking here to the, about how difficult this is, that he's going to have to bring hard times onto Israel because of their sin. 
Can you hear the love in his heart? This is not, you know, it, it brings a whole new meaning when you tell your kids, I'm going to spank you. It's going to hurt you more than it does me. Well, now it brings some understanding and God is saying the same thing. He says, this hurts me a whole lot more than it hurts you. Admir and Zimboyim are cities in the, vicinity, in the vicinity of Sodom and Gomorrah that suffered the same fate as Sodom and Gomorrah. Admira and Zimboyim are mentioned in the Canaanite border in the cities in Genesis 10. Verse 9, he says, I will execute the fierceness of my anger. I will not execute the fierceness of my anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come with terror. Now you need to say amen. Because what did he do? He sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on that cross for you and me. Because we're the same people. We have the same corrupt heart that these people had. We just don't see it. That's why we come to church, to open our eyes, to see and hear the living word of God. Verse 10, they shall walk after the Lord. He will roar like a lion when he roars. Then his sons will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like a bird from Egypt, like a dove from the land of Syria. And I will let them dwell in their houses, says the Lord. All that God has been talking about, you can hear in chapter 11, he is so merciful. He's so caring. He loves us. He doesn't want us to go through the hard times. But if we don't turn from our sin, we will. And God will still love us. And sometimes when we go through the hard times, it doesn't feel much like love. But neither does a spanking when you spank your son and your daughter for when, they, you know, you don't want them to go out and play in the road. So you spank them. No, you got to stay in the yard. Why? Because you could get killed out there in the road. It's because I love you, Johnny. It's because I don't want you to die. I don't want you to play in the street. God feels the same way. Ephraim has encircled me with lies. In the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah still walks with God, even with the Holy One who is faithful. So Judah, their compadres down in the south, have not gone as bad as Israel had. That's the end of chapter 11. There's a few things I want to talk about in this. I got four statements that I want to make about these chapters of verses that we just read. Number one, a divided heart is a defeated heart. A divided heart is a defeated heart. Man, you guys are quiet. Amen. Amen. A divided heart is a defeated heart. Listen to Hosea 10 2. Their hearts is divided. Now shall they find, now they shall be found faulty. He will break down their altars. He will spoil their images. He's going to take care of those, you know, calf gods that they've created. You know, anytime that somebody can pack up your God and put him on his shoulder and carry him off, he's not much of a God. <laughs> they were trying to see something they could see and touch. But that's not what it was about. God's trying to tell him I'm here. Look at Matthew 12, 25. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, 
Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to dissolution, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. And people, that includes this church. If we do not stand united and stay, if we divide, we will not be able to stand. If a marriage is divided, it will not stand. 1 Kings 18.21, Elijah came to the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? This is an important question. You know, this is back when Isaiah was on the mountain and he was calling fire down to, to lap up a, the altar the, that he had put on the, on the altar. And he says, how long will you falter between two opinions? If God, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people didn't answer him a word. They couldn't figure it out. We need to know that God is our God. Number two, get into the word of God. This isn't in my notes, but I got to say it. If the only word of God you get is on Sunday morning, man, you must be really hungry when you get here. It's not enough. We need to feed the spirit that's within us. We need to set up a plan a few minutes a day to have the living word of God, to read the word of God. Read it together. Listen to it on the radio. Whatever it is you have to do. But if you're only hearing the word of God when you come here on Sunday mornings, I'm telling you, it's not enough. No, that doesn't work. Hosea 10, 12, he said, I said, plant the good seeds of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of love. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts. And now is the time to seek the Lord that he may shower you with righteousness upon you. The Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that the living word of God is the seed. Look at Luke 8, 11. There it is. He's, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. It's up to us as individuals to crack open our Bible and start plowing the hard ground of our hearts and allow the seed, the word, to enter that hard ground. I want you to look at Jeremiah 23, 29. It says, it is not my word, is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in places, in pieces. His word is like a fire and a hammer to the rocks. His word is profound and we need it in our lives. Number three, God is always pursuing us. He's never going to give up on you. He's never going to stop pursuing you. Why don't you just give in finally? Because he's not going to stop pursuing you. He is always, that love of God is always. Hosea 11, 3 and 4, he said, I taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. Verse 4, I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love, and I was to them as those who take a yoke from their neck. I stooped and I fed them. Those are really tender words that God is just blessing us and he takes care of us. 
What we need to do is we need to see it and realize it. And we have Jeremiah 31.3. He said, the Lord has appeared of old to me saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. God loves you and you can't run. Oh, you can try. You can try like I did for so many years. I ran and ran, and, but I'm still here. You run right into that wall of love. Number four, God's promises are always before us. God's promises are always before us. We need to know that. Hosea 9 through 11 says, 11, 9 through 11 says, I will not execute the fierceness of my anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not man. The Holy One in your midst, I will not come with terror. He's coming with love in his arms and love in his eyes. They, <clears throat> verse 10, they shall walk after the Lord. He will roar like a lion, and when he roars, then the sons will come trembling from the west. Verse 11, they shall come trembling like a bird from Egypt, like a dove from the land of Syria. I will let them dwell in their houses, says the Lord. He loves us, and he wants us to have what is good. He wants us to have what we need to live. Second Timothy 4, 7 through 8. The Apostle Paul said this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Man, I hope to be able to say that. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Verse 8, Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will give me on that day and not to me only, but to all who he loved his appearing. All who loved his appearing. Are you looking for the Lord to appear? He's here now, he's here today. And he wants his church to return to him. And we need to hear these tough messages because it's important that we do. It's important that we know that God is watching. He watches us. He hears us. He knows us. He knows what's going on. And we're just like them. We're faulty people. We can read all about the Israelites and, and the terrible things they were doing. They were serving other gods. They were sacrificing the children that they did not want. We're the same. Oh, maybe things change a little bit. Now we can call it abortion rather than sacrifice. We can put different names on it and make it sound as though it's got some clarity, make some sense. Well, we're the same people that they were. And we need to hear the living word of God. And we need to return to him and begin to serve him like I know all of you are. I'm so very proud of all of you. Tony, could you come back?
my intent was to try to get this done early so we could move into our business meeting and, and all of a sudden I look up and realize I'm yammering. Like, I need to shut up. <laughs> I need to stop at some point. So let me shut this down. <laughs>